taking some deep scriptural truths, and we've been applying some practical examples that help us to understand it and connect with it through some old movie clips, right? And today we're going to be going to a old school movie, a classic one. Hey, it's over 40 years old. Some of you are like, I can't think that far. I get it, right? Some of you are making me feel old, right? Some of you, you, you were in your prime in those days, and you're still going. Praise God. But the movie clip that we're going to watch in a second comes from the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Look at you, some of you getting excited, telling on your age, right? This movie was the third of a trilogy. It was the third installment in the trilogy. There wasn't supposed to be another one after this. Eleven years later, they came out with another one, right, and they made it a cheese ball after that. They ruined Indiana Jones. But Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is about this famed archaeologist named Indiana Jones, right? And he's in for an adventure in this movie. It's the adventure of his life. So he receives this mysterious journal in the mail. And he comes to realize that it's from his father, who he hasn't been in touch with for years, a man named Henry Jones Sr. And so the journal holds clues, a map uh, that leads to a legendary treasure. It's known as the Holy Grail. It is the treasure of treasures. If you're going to go for anyone, this was the one. And so his father had devoted his life to finding this treasure, and he never did. He, he, hadn't, he hadn't found it. And so when his father goes missing because he gets kidnapped by Indy's enemies, Andy has to pick up where his father left off, and he has to work to uncover the true location of the Holy Grail while also saving his father's life from his enemies. Little does Indy know that his enemies, the Nazis, are on the hunt for the Grail as well. And so he goes in search of the Grail while trying to service, save his father's life and also save the world because the Nazis are after the Grail to, take domi to, to, to establish world domination for a super race. And so with the diary as a vital key and a map with no names as a guide, Indy once again finds himself in another death-defying adventure, a journey that pushes him to risk it all, but also to take a step of faith. But hey, you know, let's dig into this a little bit because... The search for the Holy Grail, if you watch this movie, what you'll see is that it was what Dr. Henry Jones Sr. had devoted himself to. He had devoted himself to finding the most valuable treasure in all existence. And the reason why he never found it, despite his many efforts and despite the fact that he had the journal which contained all the clues, the reason why it escaped his grasp is because he failed to do something that his son Andy did. He failed to do it God's way. If you watch this movie, you'll see that he takes three different steps that provide clues. One of them is known as the, the breath of God, which led Indy to kneel in order to avoid certain things. And it was all about prayer. The second one was known as the name of God, which involved him deciphering the spelling of God's holy name, his very nature. And then the third one, which we saw, was the path of God. And this one led him to do it the only way that not only led him to the Holy Grail, but leads us to the most valuable thing in life. Relationship with God. The wisdom of God. 
the only way to do that is by taking steps of faith. Right? So today, I want to talk to you from the heart of God. I bring you no opinion. I simply want you to consider the scriptures as we dig in. And we're going to talk today about take the leap. Go ahead and turn to somebody. Tell them, take the leap. Tell somebody else, take the leap. Hey, if you're online, take the leap. Go ahead, and, go ahead and type that. Tag somebody, take the leap. We must take a leap. See, when it comes to faith, the average person equates it to acts of petitioning God. Right? Seeking God's intervention. How about this one? I'm just waiting on you, waiting on you, impatiently waiting on. We're just waiting on God, right? And we're, we're, we're there with our hands folded. That was the key of R, all right? I never said I could sing, all right? But we're kind of just waiting on God. And the reality is that faith is an invitation to step out into the unknown so that we can come to know a God who's waiting for us in the unseen, right? And so I want us to consider what the scripture actually tells us about faith as a foundation for today's discussion. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, for we what? We walk by what? Faith. So we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. We don't walk by sight. And that's very challenging for many of us because we live by sight. We're moved by sight. We make choices by sight. We plan by sight, right? And so we're living by sight. But what we see is that the scripture tells us that we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. We're going to go back to that in a second. Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way. It says, and without what? Faith, it is what? Impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever comes to God, whoever follows after God must believe that he exists. But watch this. You must believe that not only he exists, but in his existence he's working in an unseen place. And it says, and because of that, he rewards those who seek him. But watch this, who seek him there. Who seek him in the place where we can't see, where we have to trust. James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, put it this way. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, fellas, by the way, that's not just talking to you, ladies, that's also talking to you, right? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Verse 17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is what? It is dead. It is dead. What we're seeing here is that faith has nothing to do with sight. Let me put it this way. Faith has nothing to do with facts. Has nothing to do with facts. It's so much more than our efforts to move God and wait on him as we trust in facts. In fact, faith is an active lifestyle. It is a life driven by action because we are compelled to take a leap into the unknown trusting and knowing that God sees us and he's always working in our lives. I remember a story I heard a while back of a father and his son in one of the world wars. It was during the Blitzkrieg. They were bombing this entire country and 
Bombs are dropping everywhere. And so this father and his son were in hiding in a building that was abandoned. And all of a sudden, the building gets hit. And so the father grabs his son's hand, and he starts running. And he says, son, just run with me. And they're running, trying to get to safety because bombs are dropping everywhere. And all of a sudden, this father sees a sinkhole. It's smoked. There's fire all around. And he, just, he decides, I'm going to jump into the sinkhole, assuming that his son would do the same. And so he runs towards this sinkhole. He dives in, and he's expecting his son to be there. And he's, he says, son, where are you? And the son goes, dad, dad, I'm scared. Dad, I can't see you. He says, jump in. He goes, but dad, I can't see you. And the father says, but I can see you. Jump. And friends, that's indicative of what faith is really like. See, God invites us to take the dive, to take the plunge, to leap out in faith. But it's because he sees us and he's always there for us. We're in the palm of his hands is what the scripture tells us. And so it would behoove us to not take steps of faith. So the question is, why do we choose facts over faith? Right? Why do we choose facts over faith? Why do we take matters into our own hands? Why do we hesitate to act? Why do we prefer to, quote, unquote, wait on God while God is waiting on us? And more importantly... How do we get to this place, this mindset, this lifestyle where we live actively because of our faith? How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that because Abraham was a man who is memorialized. This man is memorialized in the scriptures for his faith. In fact, the scripture alludes to him as the father of our faith. Right? In other words, he's the one who led by example and birthed many afterwards that followed after his example to live by faith. And the reason why the scripture attests to him as one who, who had complete faith in God is because Abraham took some steps. We won't get into it, but I'll just allude to them. Some examples are God approaches this man. This man was with his father, with, was in a land that was a pagan land. It was a land called Ur of Chaldees. And they wanted nothing to do with God. They served God. They had all these weird practices and ways of living. They were very selfish people. They were very mean people, right? A tough nation. Uh, very violent people. And God says to Abraham, hey, leave your country, leave your family, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you would sign up for that journey? I'm inviting you to go to a land that eventually I'm going to show you. And I'll tell you what you would answer because I'd probably do the same thing too. No, you got to show me, brother. No, in fact, you got to tell me what time we arrive. You've got to give me a, 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 a location so that I can put it in my GPS system so that I can make sure that I make it there. And God says, mm -mm, not my ways, not my thoughts, not how I work. Right? And so he left his land, he left his family at God's call, not knowing where he was going. The scripture also tells us that he gave up great riches that were offered to him so that no one could ever say, could ever have the ability to say that they increased him. He wanted everyone to know it was God who increased me. Right? This man traveled to distant lands believing, banking on the promise that God would, would, would have given him these lands even though he didn't possess them yet. And he also believed that God would make him the father of many nations despite the fact that him and his wife could not conceive a child of their own. And so this man took bold steps. And one day, his faith was pushed 
to an extraordinary degree. You see, God asked him to sacrifice the one thing that was most dear to him. God told him, I want you to take your son Isaac. Now, he had two sons. Ishmael was the son that he conjured up in his own plan, right? He tried to help God along the way. Come on. You know, you know who I'm talking to because every one of us has had an Ishmael. We've all tried to work God's plan for him at some point, right? But then there was Isaac. And when Isaac came, God told him, this is the son of promise. Through him, I will bless all the nations. I will make you the father of many nations. And so Isaac is his dear son. He's his favorite. And God says to him, I want you to take Isaac up to a place called Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him. Now let's just pause right there for a moment and put yourself in that predicament. What would you answer God? I'll tell you what some of you would answer. Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm just saying, you know, here's the thing about faith. It never makes sense. It doesn't fit in the facts that we conjure up. I don't care what Google says, right? I don't care what whatever you defer to says, right? Siri and Alexa and whatever else you're depending on these days. None of that fits. The facts don't fit into, what, into matters of faith. And so... This request made no sense because in Abraham's understanding, it would cancel the promise. It would cancel the promise. It went in direct contradiction to what God had told him and God had shown him. And so we must consider how Abram, Abraham responded, and we must also glean what it teaches us about taking leaps of faith, about living in faith. Genesis 22, starting at verse 1, says that after these things, God did what? He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early in the morning. See, this is where many of us check out. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him, which this, it leads us and teaches us into this area of faith. It teaches us that faith isn't faith until it's proven. Let me say that again. Faith is not faith until it's proven. You see... Faith is not the result of emotion, friends. Faith is not the result of willpower, friends. Faith has nothing to do with our affiliation to a denomination, to a facility, to a group of people. Faith has nothing to do with that. Faith is not born out of that. The scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing faith comes by the word of God. In other words, it's a direct response to what God says to you and I. And it's a response that requires action. And that action is proof. It's not just proof. It 
proves us. Let me tell you what I mean. The word tested there is very interesting because in the Hebrew, it refers to trying and proven by way of a touchstone. A touchstone was a black uh, rock, a black stone such as jasper. And what they did with these stones was they used them to prove the quality the veracity of the value of gold and and silver by seeing if it left a streak after rubbing it against the black stone. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The process of rubbing a gold, a rock that contained gold or silver in it, the process of rubbing this stone against the touchstone was never for the intended purpose of harming it. It wasn't even to hurt it. It was simply to authenticate the value already present in a stone containing gold or silver. Why is that important, friends? Because whatever God calls you to do is never to hurt you. It's to help you. It's to help you. And it won't make sense. But let me tell you something. It will bring healing and hope. It will redeem and restore. It will change your life. And so the value of our faith, friends, cannot be revealed without rubbing against some things that challenge it along the way. Now, let me just give you a little disclaimer here, right? Don't go creating challenges to prove your faith. Because some of us, we go, pr- we go make our own challenges, And we say, God is testing me, and God's not even in it. And don't blame the devil either, because he had nothing to do with it. Be wise, right? But the truth is that whenever God asks you and I to do something that requires faith, it is going to rub against our better judgment. In fact, it's not going to be comfortable. But God, and let me tell you why it's important to to reconcile that in our hearts and accept that as truth. Because God has not called you and I to be comfortable. He's called us to be conformed to his ways and his image. And that can't happen if we reside in the place of comfort. Yeah, we can't do that. It doesn't work. In fact, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 tells us something about that. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Watch what it goes on to say. That, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your what? Faith. Faith. Which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's leave that scripture up for a moment. I want you to see something that genuine faith is tested faith. It is proven faith. You can't talk about having faith if it hasn't been tested. It's not going to happen. It is unscriptural. I remember years ago when I met Pastor Annette and she fell in love with me. I mean, she did fall in love with me. But I fell in love with her too. I did, I did, I did. Right? When I met Pastor Annette, y'all need to stop, man. You're going to get me in trouble. I had to bite my tongue what I was about to say. 
it was not going to be, it could be misinterpreted. Anyway, come on, stop, honey. You're distracting me with your beauty. Right? So I meet Pastor Annette. She falls in love with me, right? I, I fell in love with her. No, we met. And from the moment I met her, I knew that there was something different about her. I saw it. She was unlike any person that I had ever met, any woman that I had ever met. She was beautiful. And it wasn't just her outer beauty. It was the inner beauty, right? That, that gentle spirit. There was, there was something powerful there. It was God. And so I remember when I met her, um, my faith was tested, right? It was tested because I knew from the moment I met her, I said, I'm going to marry this woman. That's my rib, right? I'm going to marry her. The problem is that the way my bank account was set up didn't exactly match what I felt God was putting in my heart. I didn't even know it was God at the time, right? And so let me give you context. I was making $800 every two weeks, right? After taxes, I was making $600. And half of that was going to my cousin who allowed me to rent a closet where I hung some stuff and to sleep on her couch in the living room in her one-bedroom apartment. And the reason why I chose to do that was because I couldn't stand being so far from her, so I had to be closer to her, right? Come on, stop, man. Y'all going to make me, like, tear up here, man, right? Stop. Let's not get fluffy with this. We're talking about faith, right? Anyways, long story short, I, so the way my bank account was set up wasn't setting me up for success, right? Because as quickly as it came in, it was going out, right? And in addition to paying my cousin to stay at her place, I was also paying for a cell phone because how many of you know you need a cell phone, right? That, I, I, I thought that was a need. It was a want. But anyway, I was suffering for it. So I had a phone and I had some other stuff. So I really didn't have much left for anything. And in addition to that, I had decided I'm going to buy a ring, right? Now, before you go, ah, it was a chip, it was like a little chip, right? But the Bible says we go from faith to faith, glory to glory. So we're not there yet. We're not there anymore, right? We started with a chip of faith, right? Anyway, so, but it was like the most expensive thing to me, right? So I was doing my very best. And uh, I was struggling with my faith in certain regards. You, you got to understand, I came from a real jacked up experience when it came to church. It wasn't God, but it was a... It was a erroneous, uh, an erroneous way of demonstrating who Jesus was. I was told Jesus loved me, but I was told that he's going to strike me every step, of the, every step of the way. Like I was never good enough. So we were repenting on Monday, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays and Fridays. And then on Sundays, we were at the altar every single time. And it was for everything from going to the movies to women wearing earrings. It was just crazy. It was craziness, right? So now I'm a young adult. I'm leaning into the word of God. I'm really pursuing God for myself. I'm not just going by what I'm being told. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm asking questions. And I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I'm hearing people talk about how they hear God. And I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong that I'm not hearing him? Like you heard, like God spoke to you? Oh, yeah, the Lord showed me. And I'm like, well, something's obviously wrong with my faith. Right? And then in addition to that, I was struggling with something that I was seeing in the scriptures about tithing. Now, let me just make this known. We are not taking another offering. And this is not a ploy to get you to tithe. Not doing that. We don't manipulate the word here. We don't do that. 
But I'm sharing with you my faith journey because this was a pivotal point for me. You see, I saw it in the scriptures. I heard how it was blessing people. But the math didn't, didn't make sense to me. Like, I, how am I supposed to pay for rent, pay for all these things, pay for my Metro card, survive with food, right, and save up for a chip? How's this supposed to work? So I really, I saw it in the Word. I desired to do it, but I, it just didn't make sense. And so I just, I kept wrestling with that. I kept talking to God about it. I kept doing the little whatever I could, right? I gave whatever, you know, I could conjure up. But I was struggling, but I kept going before the Lord. on it. And then one day I had this experience. I'm at my job. I'm working, right? I, did, I, I was doing office work, administrative work. And at that time, I was in my early 20s, and I'm, I'm working at my desk. And all of a sudden... Two scriptures come to mind for me. One, the first one was where the scripture says, where Jesus says, give and it shall be given to you, pressed, and, and, and you'll receive it in good measure, pressed down, shaken over, right, it's running over and all that. And so I, I was meditating on it, and I was thinking about it as I was working, and I'm like, why am I thinking about this? And then another scripture pops up for me where Jesus talks about the person who understands the word. And he equates it to seed that is sown into good ground. That's the person who understands the truth. And it says that for that person who understands it and receives it, right, that that person receives in greater measure some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So I'm meditating on this, and in the midst of that, as I'm meditating on it, something weird happens. I didn't hear a voice. It wasn't like, Jose, I'm talking to you. It wasn't like that. It was just like I, I'm meditating on it, and all of a sudden I get a, a picture. And the picture that I got was what I saw myself doing was giving this tithe. And I said, Lord, $80 is like the world to me right now. But I sensed, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And I said, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to do this. I made my mind up and I kind of left it alone. Sunday comes, I give my tithe, right? And I wasn't stressing it, but I was, it was on my mind. Monday morning comes and I'm back at my job. I'm at my desk, I'm working, and my boss comes in like he did every morning. He says, hey, Jose, and I'm like, hey, Randy. He says, hey, stop by my office at 11. I want to meet with you. I need to talk to you about some stuff. I said, all right. So 11 o'clock comes around. I come into his office, and he says to me, you have been here now for 11 months, and it is obvious to me that you are more than administrative support. I want to provide you an opportunity. I really feel that there's more that you can do, and I want to give you an opportunity to grow into that. And so I want to offer you a job. My ears go up, right? Like, I'm like perked up, like, okay. And he says, here's the thing, though. It was a job for, it was, it was a position that was called a job developer, right? I worked for a nonprofit, and it was an opportunity to help people find employment that were transitioning from incarceration and, you know, had been going through some difficulties. And he says to me, but here's the catch. I'm offering you this position. I really do believe that you can do it. You can hit the ground running and do it. But I have to hold you to the same standard as everyone else. In other words, there's no learning curve. You're in or you're out and you're doing it or you don't. It's sink or swim. And then he says this to me. He says, and it comes with an $8,000 raise. And, and so, so all of a sudden I'm like, okay, $8,000. And I'm like, man, that's, that's a good opportunity. Can I do this? And the scripture comes back to me. And at that moment, I knew that the Lord was speaking to me. He says to me, some, for the one who receives it on good ground and understands the truth, will receive, some will receive 30, 60, 100 fold. Do the math on 80 yeah. times 10. 
Now, that's an 800% increase. And I realized something. I said, this thing called faith, faith that is tested is faith that triumphs. Look, I do not claim to have it all together, but I will tell you this. I learned a valuable lesson that day. I have not looked back since. And while sometimes we may falter, you, you see, faith has to be proven for you to take another step of faith. Like the Bible says we go from faith to faith. We go from glory to glory. In other words, faith is not a call to be stagnant. Faith requires steps. It's progressive. It goes from one experience to another. It goes from one measure of growth and understanding to the next. So let's get back to Abraham. After traveling three days, after traveling three days to the location God gave him, Abraham sees Mount Moriah in the distance. And so he turns to his servants and he says to them in Genesis 22, verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. And we'll, we're going to worship. And then we're going to come again to you. Now, take a moment to appreciate what Abraham is saying here. Because what we're seeing here is that faith is more than a walk, friends. It's a commitment. Faith is more than a walk. It's a commitment. We have to commit to this walk. We have to commit to do this by faith. See, many claim to walk by faith. And hey, if the shoe fits here, please don't wear it. It's time to change it. But many claim to walk by faith, but most approach it as a casual walk, a stroll. We approach it at our leisure, in comfort. And we must appreciate in this moment what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. It tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. Meaning, the word walk there in the original language does not talk about walking. It talks about living. Let me tell you what it means. Everybody do this with me. Take your right hand, open your two fingers. Come on, join with me. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to hurt you, right? And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it to your nose and pinch your nose. Open your mouth. Take a deep breath. And now hold your breath. And just keep holding it. And just keep going. Keep holding it. Come on. You can keep going. Some of you are just like, I don't understand why any of you are not doing it anymore. Like you're giving up. Right? Some of you are turning blue. Some of you are going gray. All right, guys, look, it, it's just an exercise, right? You, you can breathe, breathe. But let me tell you why we all are grateful and had no intention of holding our breath for the remainder of this service. The reason why you and I would not do that is because we understand that it takes breathing to live. We value living. My point simply being that faith... When the Bible says that we live by faith, it's telling us that faith is the means by which we live. We exist. You can't follow God without faith. We can't even begin to experience the will of God without faith. 
we can't even begin to go where God is calling us to or inherit any of the promises that we see in the Word of God without faith. Because if it's not by faith, then guess what? We're not living. We're dying. You know what's interesting about the effects of oxygen deficiency? The effects of low oxygen concentrations includes mental confusion, loss of judgment, loss, loss of coordination, weakness, nausea, fainting, loss of consciousness, and eventually leads to death. Friends, if you're not living by faith, you're dying because of your lack of it. The next point, well, let me show you that from Scripture. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says that Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he... And he who had received the promise, had received the promise, had received the promise. In other words, this wasn't just something he read. This isn't just something he heard. He embraced it. It became a part of his belief system. It became his perspective. It became his manner of thought. It became the direction for his life. And so he received this promise, and he was in the act of, as he was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now watch this. And he considered that God was able. Considered that God was what? Able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know what the scripture is telling us here? It's telling us that in his heart, he had already settled it. My son is dead. But even though he's going to die by my hand, I believe that while he may die by my hand, God is able to raise him by his hand. How about them apples? <laughs> Want to talk about faith? Let me ask you a question. What would you do? Because according to the scripture, what we see is that true faith does not fluctuate based on changing circumstances. It's not like if, God, okay, I believe God for this and God says this and I see the example in his word. I see the promise. And so, yeah, I'm going to take some steps of faith. But then we finally get to the point where, like, the knife is up here. And, and like, God, like, we're really going to do this? Like, like I really got to leave? Like, I really, really, really have to cut those ties? Like, like, I really have to give this? Like, I really have to make this sacrifice? You don't know what faith is until all your faith can lead you to is to depend on God. Faith that does not fully depend on God is not faith at all. It's a farce. It's faulty. So true faith does not fluctuate based on Changing circumstances because true faith is committed to what God has promised. He wasn't just committed to sacrificing his son. He was committed to the promise that God had gave him. He believed it beyond a shadow of a doubt. God, you said it. It doesn't make sense, but I believe you at your word. That's commitment. That's faith. That's faith. 
The last point that I want to leave you with here, we're going to go back to the life of Abraham. So we see that as he approached the mountaintop, Isaac gets, he's, he, he wisens up. He says, hey, dad, so we have, we have the wood and we have the fire. But, but dad, where's, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says to him, son, don't you worry about that. God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And so they get up to the mountaintop, right? It sounds real spiritual, right? They get to the mountaintop, and when they get to the mountaintop, guess what? There's no lamb to sacrifice. There's no lamb there. There's no lamb for the offering. And so Abraham does what to you and I would most likely be unthinkable. He ties up his son. He prepares the altar. And he puts his son on the altar. And he raises this knife. And he's committed to the plunge. He's taking the leap. And at that moment, God responds and he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. For I see that you have not withheld your only son from me. Friends, the proving, the testing of Abraham's faith was not for God. It was for Abraham. And when our faith is tested, we're not doing anything for God. In fact, God is leading us into it for us. It's for you. It's for me. See, what this teaches us is that faith takes courage. It takes courage to jump knowing that you're, you're going to grow wings along the way. Let me show you this from Scripture. Genesis 22, verses 13 and 14, says that Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up, as a burnt offering instead of his son. My point being is that had Abraham never stepped up and stepped out, he would have never discovered not just the sacrifice, but the proving of his faith. He would not have been ready for the next steps. Friends, your next steps determine on your first step. What will you do? with what God is calling you to. Will you flounder in it? Will you flail around like a dead fish? A dying fish? Or will you step out in faith? The reason why I say that faith takes courage to jump, knowing that you're going to grow wings along the way, is because faith is an invitation to the unknown. Faith never fits in facts. The way it works with God is he says, no, I invite you to a land that you've never seen. And I promise you I'm going to give it to you. But you're going to have to leave where you are. You're going to have to leave your facts. You're going to have to leave your, your basis for trust and your experience. And you're going to have to trust that what I say is true and that it's better. And as we take steps out, we begin to grow wings. We have a saying around here at Church at the Bridge. 
you've been around any length of time, maybe you've heard it. Because we know that faith does not provide us the facts that we seek. But it does provide us the wings to fly along the way. We have a saying here that says, we're building this plane while we're flying it. And can I tell you, from the moment we began, it never made sense. We, we, we did not see all the details. We did not have it figured out. Nine years later, can I give you a piece? Can, can I just share some good news with you? We still don't have it figured out. You know what's great about that? That's how you go from faith to faith. Stop trying to get the facts. Start walking by faith. Let's stand here today. I want to leave you with a scripture as we close here. Isaiah 40, 31 is a well-known passage of scripture to some. It says, but those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's leave that up there. For many of us, we go, yeah, I, I, I want to be like the eagle. But do you know what it takes for an eagle to be an eagle? To be the one bird in the entire animal kingdom that can supersede and override and fly above storms. Do you know what it takes to be an eagle? When it talks about us soaring on wings like eagles, what we must appreciate and understand is that it's telling us that the same way eagles fly, that's how it works for us. And what you may not know about eagles is that the way that they grow strong and they learn to soar at great heights. It's through a process called molting. You know what molting is? Molting is seasons in an eagle's life where its feathers begin to fall out. Its eyes become dim. They grow what looks like a, a skin over their eyes and, and they can't see. And their talons become calcified and they begin to fall out. And at their weakest point, as, as everything seems to be going wrong and they appear to be at their weakest, what's actually happening is there's a new level of strength being developed. Because once they go through this molting process, you know what happens? They're stronger. Their talents are stronger. Their sight is refined to a greater measure. What am I saying to you, friend? It's that faith takes a leap. And you should not resist the proving of your faith. So as we close here today, I have to leave you with this question. What's your Isaac that God is calling you to give up? What is it that God is instructing you to do that's hardest? What is it that God is inviting you to that you're running from. Because you see, the path of God takes a leap of faith. And friend, whatever that is, I don't know your story, but I know this. If faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, then faith is come. But you have to go where faith is leading you. You have to take the step. It may be Leaving a comfortable place, it may be giving up some comfort. 
that you intend to go towards. It may be leaving that job. It may be cutting off certain relationships. It may be giving something that you never thought you could give in terms of your time, in terms of your talent, in terms of going and doing something you never thought you could or you don't believe you can. It may lead you to the point where you're like, I can't believe, God, you're calling me to do this. But you see, faith that's tested is faith that triumphs. What is God saying to you today? And what will you do in response? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.